fathers. I have two daughters. Many of you guys know uh, Sienna and Kira. And one of our daughters, Sienna, one time ran away from home. How many of you ever had somebody run away from home before? Yeah? Okay. Uh, now, our daughter, Sienna, she ran away. She packed up her bags, giant suitcase, and said she wasn't coming back. Now, she was about seven. And I think what instigated this whole thing uh, was something that her, her terrible parents made her do, most notably her mother, and that was to eat her dinner. I think we had fish that day. Can you believe the nerve providing fish for our children? And so with tears in our eyes, I mean, you can kind of guess what kind of tears they were, uh, we waved goodbye to Sienna as she packed and said she was never coming back. And just like that, she was gone. And she made it all the way to the front porch <laughs> where she sat there for a long, long time. She wasn't going to take it anymore. She'd had enough. She was not going to be told what to do. Have you ever run away? Today we're in the fifth week of our summer series, Summer in the Miners. And so far we've been looking at the books of the Bible that we often overlook. We've been looking at the 12 minor prophets. If you remember, we're going through this series for one particular reason, and that so the minor prophets would help us see a clearer picture of who God is and who we are. We, we often glance over these books of the Bible, but they help us to see the character of who God is and who we are. Now, this week we're settling in the book of Jonah. We're almost halfway through the Minor Prophets. This is probably, most arguably, the most well-known Minor Prophet of them all. You might think, I know all about Jonah. Jonah is a story all about what? A whale. A whale. Well, we're going to find out, actually, it's not a whale. It's not a whale of a tail. My dad jokes. I'm going to have a couple of those maybe sprinkled throughout here. So. But when we normally read Jonah, we think about Jonah, we think of a kid's story. Uh, you can look, go back in our nursery, you can Google, you can look uh, for, for books on Jonah, and all of them have this little teeny guy in the corner, and then a big fish on them, usually a whale. And so we think Jonah is about a big whale, but we're going to see this morning that Jonah really has nothing to do with a big whale, and that misses the point of the book. Uh, it often becomes just a fantastical kid story that's got some great truths to it, but we're going to look this week and see that Jonah is more than a story about a fish. So I encourage you, we've been talking about this each week, to read each of the books of the Minor Prophets. Last week, uh, I weavered Dan, or I bruised Dan, if you remember, he made that joke about that, uh, that he had to do Obadiah, and I don't think that was a, a put-down for him at all, because it was the shortest book. Like, it was one page, so, you know. <laughs> this week, to read Jonah, it'll take you maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes if you're a slow reader. But I encourage you, even if you think, oh, I know the story of Jonah, I've seen the picture books before, I know all about the whale, read it. Because here's what you're going to find about the book of Jonah as you go through it. If you just start and read it without preconceived ideas of what you're reading, you're going to find that, number one, this is an amazing story. It's brilliantly written, and it's funny. You see so much of the characteristics of God in this, and you see some of the characteristics of us as well as Jonah play out in here. There's some crazy stuff that happens in this story. It's full of satire and just amazing things, but I want to encourage you guys this week to read the book of Jonah. See, Jonah is different from the other minor prophets. So far, all the minor prophets, they, for the most part, they have started off saying, I have a word from the Lord, and it's to tell the people of Israel to repent to turn back. 
And even in some of the stories, like if you remember the first week we looked at Hosea, Hosea was a living sermon illustration of who God was. If you remember his relationship with Gomer, and in that, in that minor prophet story, Hosea, he takes on the characteristics of God and reminds us and shows us through what Hosea has to go through, how time and time again God takes us back when we cheat on him. But this week, the prophet Jonah, he doesn't take on the persona of God. He takes on, he becomes a living illustration of the people of Israel and ultimately of us. And as we're going to see, it's not the most flattering portrait. So if you've got your Bibles, let's open up to the book of Jonah. We're going to be skipping around a little bit this morning. We're going to spend most of our time at the beginning of Jonah and the end of Jonah. And I'm going to count on you guys this week to read the middle part. But starting in verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah son of Amittai. Now that starts off pretty much like most of the other minor prophets have started off. They tell us who this is about, who's, who's uh, proclaiming this, and gives us a little bit of background information. And so we do know some things about Jonah. Uh, we see him, if you're familiar with your Bible, in 2 Kings. Uh, there's some, just a couple sentences about Jonah in there. But Jonah, so we said, the word of the Lord came to him, and he was the son of Amittai. And as we've learned throughout these, these studies of these minor prophets, that all these minor prophets' names mean something. And it usually takes on a characteristic of what uh, they're experiencing. But Jonah's unique. Jonah's name actually means dove. And usually that we think that's someone who is just going to swoop in there and take care of things and is beautiful. And, and his dad's name, Amittai, means truth. So he's the son of truth. He's this dove. But yet, as we're going to see, there's really nothing peaceful or loving about Jonah. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. It says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because his wickedness has come up before me. Once again, this is starting off like most of the other minor prophets. The word of the Lord comes to the minor prophet and tells him, I want you to do something. I want you to go to these people. But unlike what we've read so far, Jonah isn't told to go to God's people. He's told to go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh, uh, you might not be familiar with Nineveh. You're going to see up on the screen a little bit about Nineveh in a moment. Actually, hold off on that. Uh, Nineveh, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. And if you've been following along with us, you've seen that name Assyria all throughout our study of the minor prophets. Assyria is often referred to as God's enemies. And in these minor prophets, we've seen over and over again God speaking against Assyria and warning the Israelites and the people of Judah about Assyria. Now, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and it was known at the time to be probably the most brutally violent community on the face of the earth. You think of anything you can think of uh, from the Taliban to just terrible things that we've seen in our day, in Nineveh, man, it tops it. These were brutal, terrible people. All the nations around them feared them. Often it was told, said that if Assyria was going to come and attack the people, that the people that they were going to attack were so scared they would just kill themselves to get it over with. A history records some terrible things that the Assyrians did. I don't want to go through all the gory details this morning, but I want you to understand the depth of their depravity, of how terrible they were. They would rape the women and children in front of the men, then bury the men in the sand, stake their tongues to the ground and let them drown in just the heat. They would decapitate them and put their heads around the city as a warning sign to the rest of the people to stay away. These were some terrible, terrible people. 
And God says for Jonah to go to Nineveh because their evil has come up against him. They want him to, he wants him to speak against the people of Nineveh. Nineveh is the enemy. Let's continue on in verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Jonah ran away. Unlike the rest of the prophets who when they received the word of the Lord stepped in and followed and obeyed and went and proclaimed God's message, Jonah ran away. Why did he do that? He, he, didn't get a, he got a lot farther than the front porch too, by the way. I'll look at this map up here on the screen. You're going to see this. So he's down here in Joppa and he's told to go to Nineveh, which is kind of in modern day Iraq. That's kind of a loose map. So any of you geography guys, you might say, wait a minute, that line needs to be a little bit farther over. The text only fit on the screen that way. But that's really kind of modern day Iraq where Nineveh was. So 550 miles, a pretty good hike. But still, not nearly as far as what Jonah decided to do. Jonah decided to go all the way, 2,500 miles, to Tarshish in modern-day Spain. Now, historians will tell us that really this is about the known world at this time. So to put it frankly, Jonah is going to the ends of the earth to get away from this assignment. How in the world does a prophet of God Somebody who knows God think he can get away from God. I mean, does he really think that if he goes all the way to Tarshish that God somehow isn't there? Of course, he knows the scriptures. He knows God. You might be familiar with Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, we're going to see this plays in a moment. Even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Did Jonah really think he could run away from God? I don't think so. But I think he wanted to get as far away from the people of God, the things of God, any reminders of God. I think we do this often today. Over the years, I've heard this story over and over again. Someone stops going to church. And we talk and they say, well, I've just been busy. Or we weren't getting anything out of it. Or they don't have anything for our kids. Or my personal favorite, I don't like the preacher. And there might be some truth to some of those. But if you dig deeper there's usually something else going on. Often these people have received a word from the Lord. The Holy Spirit, God, has spoken to them, revealing something in their hearts that need to change. They're feeling some conviction. They're being challenged to do something they don't want to do, to change something they don't want to speak. They need to stop the direction of a relationship, maybe. They're beginning to hear God speak truth that they didn't want to hear or didn't want to deal with. And so we run. Now, we might not run forever. I once heard that delayed obedience is actually disobedience. Think about that with your kids. Come here now. One, two, three. They've already disobeyed. You said now, right? 
And so we'll see over the rest of the story that the more we run, the longer it takes us to follow through with what we're supposed to do, the more at risk we are and the more risk we put those people around us. Let's keep going in verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break it up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. I mean, these guys are scared. They're dumping stuff, seasoned sailors. But Jonah had gone down below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God, like the rest of us, right? Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They're going to roll the dice. Something that was prevalent in those days, the gods would reveal. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Obviously, God was intervening here. So they asked, hey, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, Good old Jonah. I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah follows God. He knows all about God. Does he? This is the first big point I want us to see in this book, that knowing about God doesn't guarantee a godly life. Knowing about God, it doesn't guarantee a godly life. See, Jonah is a prophet. He knows his Bible. And you're going to see in the next chapter, he basically quotes prayers from Psalms. He knows what's right. But remember, Jonah represents Israel in this story. And what's a common theme that we've seen play out in this study of the minor prophets? That God doesn't want us to just know him. He wants us to know him in our hearts. Not just to know about him, but to know him. And Jonah might know God with his head, but he doesn't seem to know him with his heart. Carrying on in verse 10. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew that he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Think about this for a minute. Jonah knows. He knows what's going on. He's been running from God because he had an assignment that he didn't want to do. We're going to find out why he didn't want to do this in a little bit. But Jonah's disobeying God. He knows the God who created the land and the sea is causing this great storm that's causing these sailors to freak out. People who have been on the sea who are used to this, and they know something supernatural is happening. Jonah knows. What do you think the right solution would be? Okay, God, I'll go. I'll go back. I'll do what you ask me to do. Jonah would rather die. He'd rather be thrown into the sea and drown than do what God wants him to do. Think about that. He'd rather die then follow the command that God has given him. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. They didn't want to kill this guy. 
But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out, catch this, then they cried out to the Lord, to Yahweh, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. These men were pagans who worshipped other gods, saw the power of God, and they worshipped. They prayed, they cried out, Lord, we know you are in control. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. That's the good part of the story, right? Now we're getting to what we're familiar with. This is the only time that the fish is really mentioned, just this one sentence. Now I mentioned we weren't really going to talk about the fish because the fish isn't really the point of Jonah, no matter what we read in the children's stories. It's pretty cool. And there's plenty of things you can do online if you're really obsessed with learning about the fish of what it could be, that it wasn't a whale. The Bible doesn't actually say it's a whale. It might have been a whale. It might have been a sperm whale. We have no idea. But you can find some, some things online if that interests you. There's even been fish that have swallowed people, and they've lived to tell about it. But honestly, the fish isn't the point. Somebody might say, I have a hard time believing the Bible. How can I believe the story about this big fish who swallows this guy and he lives there? I don't have a hard time believing that the God who created the land and the sea, who controls the weather, a God who made the sea and the land, a God who raises people from the dead. I don't have any problem believing that God put something in motion that caused some giant marine animal to save Jonah. What amazes me about this story, about this part of the story, isn't the giant fish. It's the sailors. Think about it. They had lived their lives on the open waters. They were used to storms. They had seen storms before, but this one was different. They were throwing their stuff overboard. They recognized something supernatural was happening. Remember, the sailors, they're not followers of God. They believed in all sorts of gods, but when they heard about Jonah's God, when they saw his power at work, the God who made the seas and the dry land, it says they prayed. And these pagans, these pagans who don't even prior to this know anything about the Lord, pray to the Lord and say, we don't want to take this man's life. They cared so much about this guy they had just met, they didn't want to kill him. Now, we don't know what happened to these guys after all this was over, but it says that they worshipped and made vows. Something within them, it looks like, changed because they had experienced the power of God. And here's the second truth I want us to see. That God will use imperfect people to bring people to him. Jonah was not evangelizing. He wasn't trying to tell these guys about God. He was a terrible example of following God. But God used Jonah in his situation to show these sailors who God was. And God will use imperfect people like Jonah, like me, like you, to bring people to him. 
Now, chapter 2, if you're looking here in your Bible, is all about Jonah's time in the fish, and he's desperate. God saved him from drowning by sending the fish, and you can read this week Jonah's prayer. This is the first time Jonah has spoken to the Lord in prayer, not during the storm when the sailors were praying, but he prays, and you can read Jonah's prayer, and he seems to recognize that he's been disobedient, and he says now he's ready to obey. He's been in a timeout. God puts him in a timeout in a big fish. But as you read this prayer this week, you're going to notice Jonah doesn't ever say the magic words that God probably wants to hear. I'm sorry. Jonah never repents. He never really admits he's done anything wrong. He recognizes that he disobeyed, and he recognizes that God put him in this situation, and now he's reluctantly, through delayed obedience, going to follow through, but he doesn't express any remorse. And we'll see why in a bit. Chapter 3, verse 1. So we're going to skip a little bit. It says, Then the word of the Lord, this is after the fish spits out Jonah. After the word of the Lord, or then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. So God's saying, I'm going to tell you again. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by doing, or going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, Jonah finally obeys. We're going to stop there for a second. I can just see Jonah showing up in Nineveh looking like he just got thrown up out of a fish because he had. And he goes to Nineveh and he preaches the shortest sermon ever. Eight words in English. It's only five words in Hebrew. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And what does it say happens? Here's the second miracle that's even more impressive to me than the great fish. The Ninevites believed God. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, from the youngest to the oldest, the kings, the peasants, they put on sackcloth. You can read later in there this week that it says the king even issued a proclamation that they should all repent of their wrongdoings, of their violence against the Lord, that everyone should repent, even the animals. He had the animals go into mourning. The Ninevites believed God. Verse 10, when God saw that they had what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. And did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This makes Jonah the most effective evangelist of all time. He said one sentence, and the entire city, the most wicked population on earth, repented. The most violent community, one of them that's ever lived, turned and believed in God. It's like if we got Vegas and all of Hollywood and the Taliban together and preached one sentence and they all turned to God. It's a miracle. But look at his sermon. He doesn't say what the people did wrong. He doesn't tell them how to make amends. He doesn't even mention the name of the Lord. He doesn't tell them how to avoid this destruction. It's almost like Jonah did the least amount of work possible. Fine, you want me to go speak to these guys? He walks in the city. 40 days, you guys are going to get destroyed. Mic drop, you know. 
That's it. That's all he says. This isn't even a good old turn or burn sermon. You guys remember those? Might have heard those before. You got to turn from your ways or your burn. This is just a burn. He doesn't even tell him to turn. Here's the thing. God can use you to do the extraordinary even if you're not being extraordinary. Jonah's half-heartedly doing this. But God takes his message. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And miraculously, the king recognizes their sin, repents to the Lord, calls out the Lord by name, and calls all people to turn to him. So you'd think Jonah would be on the top of the world. I mean, he has just preached the most influential sermon of all time. He's going to be asked to speak at every conference and every revival that's going on. He spoke a few words and the entire city repents and worships God. But what does it tell us happens in chapter 4? But to Jonah, he's talking about the repentance that happened and God relenting, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. Now the Hebrew word here is actually hara and it means boiling. He's boiling mad. He's filled with anger. It says he prayed to the Lord. This is only the second time he's prayed, by the way. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. This is why I ran away. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah was angry. And now we see why Jonah ran away. It wasn't because he was scared of the Ninevites, as evil and terrible as they were. It's because what? He hates the Ninevites. He's mad that God gave them a second chance. This is Jonah's second prayer, as I mentioned. But if you look at it again, if you've got your Bibles open there, you're going to see a word that appears over and over again. It says, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall. I knew that you. Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die. What's the theme? This prayer is all about Jonah. Remember, he knows God. And I think this is just so funny. Jonah basically quotes from the book of Exodus, complaining that he knows what God is like. I mean, can you believe it? This is from Exodus. The Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. How awful. Do you want to serve a God like that? See, Jonah finally revealed what was going on in his heart. He was so embittered against the people of Nineveh, he'd rather die than see them come to God. Jonah had obeyed God. He had finally done it. He had finally done what was asked of them, even if just barely, even if only half-heartedly. Jonah obeyed, but his heart was so far from God. Jesus had something to say about this in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. He says, these people honor me with their lips, with their actions. They do the right thing, but their hearts are far from me. 
See, Jonah has a bad attitude. And you can do the will of God without doing it with the heart of God. Think about that for a moment. You can do the will of God without doing it with the heart of God. You can follow the commands. You can go to church. You cannot swear and chew and go out with girls who do. You guys remember that one? That's an old phrase. You can do the right things, but your heart can be far from God. You can do the will of God without doing it with the heart of God. So you remember I said Jonah's a living illustration, not of God, but of the people of Israel, of us. And here's the theme that we've seen throughout the minor prophets. If you've caught this, God doesn't care so much about us doing the right thing. The sacrifices, going to church, all the things that we read about in the minor prophets, as much as he cares about our hearts. So you can do the will of God without doing it with the heart of God. And God asked Jonah the question, he says, is it right for you to be angry? And how does Jonah respond? See it in your Bible? He doesn't. He walks away. Again. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the things that drives me the most bonkers is when I ask someone a question and they ignore me. One of my children used to do this. Not because they didn't hear you. You know, you make eye contact with the person. You know they heard you. But they just look at you and ignore you. And that's what Jonah does here. He's asked a question by God and he just walks away. Now you'd think, if I was God, I'd show Jonah what's up. I'd say, you think you're mad about me not blowing up Nineveh? You got a problem with me being slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving rebellion? Guess what? I'll show you. But what does God do? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. He's hoping still, waiting for these guys to blow up. Then the Lord provided, the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But the next at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he says, Jonah's favorite line here, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? This time Jonah answers, yes, it is. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Man-child Jonah storms off and is getting uncomfortable in the hot sun and God provides some shade. Notice the word here, God provided. Now you're going to see as you read this this week, that word comes up a few times in this book. God provided the fish. God provided the plants. God provided the worm, provided. See, God gives us what we need to help us to become who we need to be. All these things God had given Jonah, he provided him to help him to become who he needed to be. 
Let's finish up the passage here. But the Lord said, You've been so concerned about this plant, though you didn't tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. I mean, he just had this for less than 24 hours. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? And this is how the book ends. No answer from Jonah, just a question for him and for us. Time and time again, God has been giving Jonah second chances. And what's Jonah concerned about? The plant. God is so living up to his claims to be slow to anger and patient, mostly with Jonah. See, Jonah's more concerned about his own well-being, his own comfort. He's more distraught over the loss of this plant than he is about hundreds of thousands of people of Nineveh who've turned their hearts to God. So let me ask you, are you more concerned with your own comfort than lost souls? You say, of course not. Really? What breaks your heart in anger? Losing a promotion at work or a family member who doesn't know Jesus? What makes you angrier? What sets you off? When a car has some problems and you have to fork out the cash that you've been saving for a vacation to get it fixed? Or your friend at work who got that promotion instead of you walking away from God? See, Jonah's supposed to be the one guy in this story that does the right thing. He's supposed to be God's man, but time and time again, we see someone who just doesn't get it. Jonah knows the good news, but he doesn't want to share it. Why? Because Jonah refuses to accept that God loves your enemy as much as he loves you. God loves our enemies as much as he loves us. Jonah had every right to see Nineveh as the enemy because guess what? They were. They'd done terrible things. And we have enemies too. People who have wronged us or wronged someone that we love. Toxic people in our lives who do toxic things. Jonah had the right to be hurt, to be angry. But he did what so many of us do. He reduces the people who hurt us to the thing that they did to hurt us. Because when someone moves from telling a lie to being a liar, you've probably heard this before, but the ground is level at the foot of the cross. You've heard that saying? When we think everyone else is the problem, guess what? We need to look at ourselves. See, all throughout the story, who was doing the right thing? Who obeyed? Pagan sailors. A fish. The people of Nineveh, they prayed, they honored God and worship. With the lamest sermon of all time, the people of Nineveh turn and repent. Everyone does the right thing in this story except Jonah, the one person who should know better. Because Jonah can't let go of his hate and his bitterness. Do you remember that plumb line that we showed two weeks ago when we were looking at Amos? The standard that God has set, that standard runs through each of us. And each of us, all of us, have made ourselves enemies of God, even God's people, even the Israelites here, even us. And here's something I want us to make sure we see in this book. 
that God's mercy is for us and them. God's mercy is for us and them. So let me ask you, who is your them? Who is your Nineveh? Who is your Nineveh? The groups of people, what groups of people do you just hold animosity and bitterness towards? That it runs so deep that you couldn't care less if God saves them, you actually hope they get wiped off the face of the map. Is it a people group? Is it the extreme left? I like to call them flaming libs. Or the extreme right? Who are the people that you just, just make your blood boil? Is it the gays? Is it people who live contrary to what God has said? And they just make you so angry, you just hope that God would burn them down. Who is your them? See, God extends mercy to them as much as he does to us. Or let's bring this a little closer to home. Who's the person you're harboring resentment towards? Maybe in your own house. Maybe in your family. Maybe you've been hurt. You've been wronged. Maybe it's a spouse who's abused you. Maybe physically, maybe emotionally or verbally. Maybe it's a dad who didn't treat you the way you should have been treated. Said you'd never amount to anything. Maybe it's a friend who betrayed you spread rumors or lies and you're hurt and you're hanging on to that bitterness so much that you don't want to see the mercy of God extended to them you're at that point like Jonah sitting under that plant waiting to see their destruction see forgiving your enemies doesn't mean you have to ignore your wounds but are you okay with God loving your enemies who is your Nineveh as we've been going through the minor prophets each week, we've been looking for things that point to Jesus. How do we see Jesus in these minor prophets? And Jesus himself talked about Jonah in Matthew chapter 12. The teachers of the law were asking for a sign, a miracle, even though they'd seen tons of things from Jesus already. And here's what he says in Matthew 12. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. See, Jesus is the better Jonah. Jesus is the, Jesus is the complete version of who Jonah was supposed to be. See, Jonah couldn't let his pride and his pain out of the way enough to have the heart of God for people that so desperately needed God's love. And Jesus stepped down with no pride from the throne of heaven and came and died, gave his life, not running away, but gave his life so that you and I could have life with him. He died a cruel death, gave up everything so that you and I could live. Jesus is the better Jonah. Jonah, as you read this this week, you're going to see that Jonah's like a mirror. If you hold it up to yourself, you're going to see some things in your own life that I know are going to come crystal clear to you. So this week, as you read this story, I want you to ask God to show you some things. You're going to see them up on the screen. If you take notes, this might be a good thing to write down. Here's some questions. Where have you been running from what God is calling you to do? Where are you running from what God is calling you to do?
Where are you obeying with your lips, but your heart is far from God? You're going through the motions. You're not doing the will of God with the heart of God. And finally, where are you harboring resentment and maybe even hatred towards others? Maybe those enemies are the very people God wants you to reach. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the story of Jonah. Thank you for being the God of second chances. And remind us, even now, in this moment of the people or groups of people that we're holding bitterness towards. Help us to see the world with your eyes. Help us to take the focus off of ourselves and our comfort. Take my focus off of me and help me to see Nineveh all around me. People who maybe are working against you. Lord, who you want us to love. The same mercy extends to them, Lord. Help me to see them as you see them. And thank you for using my life. Thank you for using the lives of those of us in here to make your name known even when we're running in our own direction. Lord, help us as we look at this book this week to see ourselves in Jonah. Lord, the question that you end asking him, help us to be able to answer that. Of course, Lord. Of course, those people are more important than all of that. And help us to live with your heart towards our enemies. In the name of Jesus, we pray.